do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Have you heard that advice before? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Sounds logical. It seems to say, if we remain true to our genuine interests, then such honesty will ensure that we have a job most of the time. After all, we'd probably be better at performing the role of responsibilities if we do enjoy the task. And that has got to be good for business. Made with love, right? Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. While I appreciate this advice, it's akin to living in a house with one wall. The advice is incomplete in a big way. Hello and welcome. This book club is for teams tackling issues of both human capital and financial capital, especially now in the fourth industrial revolution. I'm Esther Tang, an avid reader and manufacturer of turbochargers. This is my hobby podcast. No one is paying me to do it. Almost a decade ago, I came across SRC, a wildly successful company in Missouri, USA. SRC harnesses human participation in an extraordinary hive mind method that they call the Great Game of Business, or GGOB. Theirs is an engaging and effective business operating system that works as a game. And it's been quietly helping hundreds of businesses leapfrog ahead in widespread wealth creation. If you're like me, and for some time now, you've realized that a top-down only leadership approach in business is woefully inadequate to meet the reality of work in the 21st century. That is hyper-competition, automation, and outsourcing at the click of a button. Then GGOB might also captivate you as it has me. In chapter six, we meet Denise, the head of a team at SRC which produced transmissions. As a fellow woman in manufacturing, shout out to Denise. Denise, if you're out there, high five. Jack notes that the quality of Denise's assembly line was extremely high. Clearly, Denise and her team had pride in their work. So it was a total shock to learn that their transmissions were unprofitable. In fact, the cost of raw materials alone was close to selling price. Never mind all the other additional production costs like labor, warranty, overhead, and marketing. When Denise was finally made aware, she spent hours sitting in the cafeteria poring over the data. She hunted in the numbers for opportunities to turn things around. In time, she determined that by using fewer parts, tweaking here, adjusting there, incremental improvements would make the transmission's product line worth it for SRC to keep running. Let's hear that advice again. Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Would it be fair to substitute love with the word pride or respect? But love, pride, and respect for one's job? 
those on their own do not shed light on whether or not the business is profitable, breaking even, or losing money. Profitability information is essential because without profit, the business runs out of blood. It runs out of oxygen. The ability to generate cash is the real product of every business, whether the industry is coffee, cars, or cinema. When Denise was finally given the profit data, she was empowered by the data. She was no longer kept in the dark on how exactly her department was either building up or tearing down SRC's ability to generate cash and stay in business. You might be wondering, what data exactly did Denise comb through while sitting there in the cafeteria? After all, I'm sure at everyone's office, there is an endless array of emails, dashboards, and PowerPoints circulated all the time. What was in that report that helped Denise to make the right profitable adjustments? Behold, the standard cost system. Now, standard cost system is kind of a boring name. I hope Jack won't mind if for the purposes of this episode, we invoke the metaphor of a shirt for one Mr. Sweaty Stanley. Stanley, or Stan for short, he has standards. Stan wants to wear clothing, but not a single thread more than he absolutely needs to. Why? Because Stan sweats easily. Therefore, he wants the most efficient use of clothing to get the job done, in this case, to cover his sticky self. The standard cost system is a data set of exactly how much a product should cost to produce, if made in the most efficient way. The standard cost system is not the same as historical production costs. Chances are, historical production costs, that is, what you spent last year, that number includes inefficiencies and deficiencies up the wazoo that you and I both know need to go. Stan cries out, get those frills off of me, remove the extra pockets. I just want a lightweight torso covering with sleeves. Most companies in the world don't bother to ask what is the right kind of shirt for their sweaty stan. Instead, they simply say, let's reduce last year's costs, whatever they were, by 10%. The problem with this generic 10% number is that their stan might still be profusely overheating in some areas of his chest while simultaneously feeling too much breeze on others. Like Denise on transmissions, by using the right information, the right standards, the meticulously researched sweaty stand standards, employees at all levels are empowered to adjust their individual behaviors and decisions to ensure that their work teams help the business to generate cash. Chapter 6 also highlights a telling example when an SRC plant manager missed his budget for two months in a row 
even though his indicators told him that he would be on target. The frustrated plant manager sat down with the CFO to return to fundamentals. They looked over the data. Together, they realized the overhead costs formula was wrong. Using the correct formula, they found out that seven hours was being used to make cylinder heads rather than the normal standard of four hours. Digging further, they realized that the extra hours was due to new employees learning the ropes. Why were there so many newbies at once? Well, because several experienced employees had been promoted at the same time. This well-intentioned chain of promotions caused the factory to fall below standard and employees to miss their quarterly bonus. Like Denise and her team, the people promoted in Cylinder Heads, they took pride in their work. Also like Denise and her team, that desire for a job well done, on its own, doesn't reveal one way or the other whether the business generates or loses cash. The difference between Denise's situation and the plant manager's is Denise wasn't originally given any costs or targets. Later, when she was, she used the data correctly to figure out appropriate changes. The plant manager, on the other hand, he did have an array of cost standards and numbers to monitor, but he had been accidentally miscalculating his results for God knows how long. And as a consequence, he didn't see the reality behind the numbers. He didn't spot the massive slowdown from four hours to seven hours per cylinder head. My point is, flooding employees with numbers, standards, targets, only helps a business's ability to generate cash when the employees are also taught how to correctly use the information. As captain, you must ensure that your crew navigates against the true North Star, not some planet, or worse, a variety of random, distant, blinky lights. When we all paddle in the same direction, we go places a lot faster. Now, some listeners out there might think that they'd rather not worry about the business side of things. They'd rather just focus on the task at hand. I've heard people say to me, the business stuff is above my pay grade. I'm way too busy as it is. On the one hand, my gut reaction is to challenge that person to rethink whether that kind of attitude strengthens or weakens his or her economy. But on the other hand, I also completely agree. Assuming that my company isn't exactly on the brink of bankruptcy, why should I learn to read my company's income statement when I wouldn't benefit from the potential upside? That is where you, as business owner, you have the power to mix baking soda and vinegar to unleash the latent energy of a science fair volcano. You can create an employee stock ownership program that includes all employees and make it easily understandable. If you haven't noticed by now, 
When employees have a stake in the outcome, skin in the game, sizable equity stakes, they think and behave with a business mindset. They want the business to generate money. They want to calculate retained earnings. They want their shares to appreciate in value. Chapter 6 doesn't frame GGOB in a three-part structure, so the following trifecta, this pyramid, is my take. 1. Empower employees with numbers and standards. Spec out an efficient quality shirt for your metaphorical sweaty Stanley. 2. Guide employees with a solid understanding of how to calculate profit. Is everyone using the true North Star? And three, turbocharge employee motivation by opening up ownership. Informed employees make the best shareholders because firstly, unlike investors who buy shares in a public stock market, the employee shareholders won't dump shares on Tuesday just because of a bad quarterly report on Monday. Instead, when times are rocky, like they are now and all the time, employee shareholders huddle together to strategize how to improve the business. Also, employee shareholders are indeed the only people with practical knowledge on how to improve every aspect of the business from top to bottom. A fund investor thousands of miles away will not understand your product, let alone have a clue how to improve your cylinder head productivity rate. That kind of shareholder only needs to think in limited terms, buy, sell, or hold. It's like a superficial friend or a not-so-cooperative spouse who threatens to walk away at the drop of a hat rather than hunkering down to address underlying root problems. I don't even want to refer to that kind of shareholder as an investor, because in my view, they're anything but genuinely invested in the long-term success of a business. Whereas an informed employee shareholder is ride or die, a faceless person clicking on a Bloomberg terminal is only sticking around until a better buy option becomes available. It's online dating for corporates, and I think dehumanizing for everyone. But maybe the benefit that will interest you the most right now, especially if you're an exhausted business owner, so haggard that not even three or five cups of coffee affect you anymore, CEOs who use the great game of business company management system, they often report the greatest benefit is that they can finally step back from doing everything all the time. Yes, they continue to monitor performance against standards. If and when a standard is missed for two to three months, they step in. But other than that, their days of micromanaging are limited. The business full of informed employee shareholders, the business becomes largely self-correcting and self-fueling.
Now back to that advice we heard at the top. Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Let's add to it. Do what you love in a company where all employees and only employees own shares. Clearly understand how your job impacts profitability. Then you'll never be blindsided by offshoring, automation, market changes, or plain old-fashioned shoddy leadership a day in your life. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Until next time, remember that you matter and you count to me and many, many others.